Hi, welcome to season eight. We're in episode four, uh, which is uh, focusing on uh, building categories. Because there's so much uh, change going on and it seems like it's a great time to really not only look at your products and services, but look at a category overall and see what you might wanna do to take a fresh eye to it. And um, we are focusing on different um, companies that we've seen actually do this quite well. Tom, what is, oh wait, I need to introduce us. I'm Mary Abazia, we have Tom Spitali and Don Wellham. No Cheers. rascal today. Where's no rascal? rascal today. Fast asleep, He's, uh, he missed the memo. You see, you change the, you change the recording day and, and rascal just gets all thrown out, man. He's just his creature of habit. Oh, <laughs> oh. so uh, Tom, will you uh, start us off on, on the focus of today? Yeah, so today we're going to talk about um, a success story, a company that we worked with that created an, a new category or at least a new you know, market within an existing category and did a ton of things right, very little wrong, although what they did wrong, we may touch on that as well. And the end of the whole journey that we're going to discuss today was that they were purchased for $11 billion by Nestle. We're talking about the former Wyeth Nutrition in the infinite, infinite, <laughs> infant <laughs> formula category. Um, and we've talked about them before, but we're going to dive deep on all the things that they did to get there. I think the, the one other thing I'll mention is when they were sold for $11 billion to, to Nestle, it was a multiple of sales of about six or seven times their annual sales, which is just remarkable and speaks to um, how coveted they were by Nestle. So let's talk about them. And Nestle had a product too. I mean, it wasn't like Nestle was buying a new, they had products like that. So it's pretty remarkable. Yes. John, what do you think? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's the ultimate test of value, isn't it? You know, we, we can look at some of the work that we've done with various people and, and, uh, and be happy and proud that they've had some success or they've grown their, their penetration. But that, that is the ultimate is if your business is, uh, is successful enough to be bought at a, at a premium, then, you know, something's going very well. So I guess it's, uh, it, it's a good story. And it's, it's an interesting um, tale as well, because there's so many factors involved in this, right? This isn't just a simple case of, 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 a, of, a, of a standard product and then finding new markets for it or, or reshaping the market you're in. It's, it's about changing lots of things positively and having a sort of multiplier effect. Because previous episodes, we've talked about maybe big moves or, or or specific moves that people have made but this is a tale of uh of, of doing a lot of little things right that add up to a very big thing i guess that's how i characterize it anyway yeah one of, well, i agree with that i think that's the right way to frame this um one of my favorite elements of what they did to build their category was they had a remarkable focus on stakeholders um and they had um our friend lynn rosen who was dedicated to kols and she developed the strategy for it. She had a positioning. She, she did everything that you would do for a product, but she did it for this KOL group. She cultivated- KOL, Mary. Tell them what a KOL is. It's a key opinion leader. And in the medical industry, that's kind of tricky because they, you know, everyone wants their attention. But, uh, but they built a program that was so strong and so strategic that uh, there were elements that that particular group 
wanted to support them in, with all of their credibility. So I think, you know, as you think about building your categories, is there a KOL or key opinion leader group that you might want to start to cultivate in, in better ways to, to develop more trust in your industry? Yeah, and I should have probably said this when I set it up. I mean, the, the, the part of the, the market and the, ca the category that they really created was premium. We talked about they, <laughs> they sold for a premium while their product was like a super premium product in infant formula. What they were creating was what you might call the gold standard. And um, I think that that kind of move, it's really, really important to have these key opinion leaders on, on, on board. Don't you, don't you think so? I mean, what, what are some of the reasons that a KOL, key opinion leader strategy might be really important in a, in a premium market? I guess whenever you're charging more for something, the, the, the equation is always you charge more, you, you're, you're adding more, you're creating more value. There has to be a perception of that value. And sometimes, um, especially in a, in, a, in a technical product, which of course nutrition is, you really want to get that stamp of endorsement that the the benefits are not superficial they're meaningful mm. and for a product like that a key opinion leader someone who's maybe medically qualified or someone who is um uh, heavily involved in in the aspect of the market you're in in this case infant nutrition those individuals carry a lot of weight an endorsement or, a, or even a gentle nod or, or an, an, an acceptance by by some of those people magnifies right because let's face it most of us if we if we think all the way back to being parents and being in a position to buy this sort of product it's it's a high stress product because you want to do the very very best it's one of the few products that you buy where you really care about the quality uh because you're buying it for someone else and someone else that you're responsible <laughs> for that hopefully you care and love so opinion leaders give you that uh, that comfort that that sense that uh it's not just hyperbole it's it's got meaning and um and it, it's real so i think for this kind of product key opinion leaders are, are more important than just about any other industry and you know i think that uh, you're right about that what uh, what a kol brings to uh, but i think even in b2b you know business to business um you know if you're making big decisions about your company and you're trying to pick the right lighting source or the right you know semiconductors that are going to go into your future products i mean sometimes there's so much writing on that that there's again a lot of pressure hopefully you like the company um but looking at kols even in a b2b space um is important because you won't have all the information you have to kind of fill in the blanks with people you trust yeah. Yeah. And we listen, we don't do our own research. You know, the, the, um, the most recent iPhone that comes out, you know, it'd be packed with features. Of course it will, but you will wait for some maybe tech writer in one of the major magazines or, or newspapers that will say, I saw an article that said, is the iPhone 12 is the latest. I don't know. I'm, I'm still stuck on uh, an earlier version of an iPhone, but is the iPhone 12 worth it was the headline. Well, anyone considering that is going to read it. And that is a key opinion leader, right? That's someone who, whose job is to stay in front of the, the technical breakthroughs, to translate it into what it means practically. And you're right, Mary, that, that exactly is the same if you're, if you're buying lighting for B2B, you're buying new, new ball bearings for your gearboxes that you make, whatever it is, if someone out there that is seen as being credible, neutral and authoritative then their voice carries weight. It's better than any advertising because it's, it, it appears to be done with no ulterior motive, you know, it's, it's not, they're not trying to sell you. They, they are 
uh, trying to educate you. And that's a key difference. What I think our friend Lynn did so very well too, is she approached the KOL strategy like these key opinion leaders were customers. In other words, she did a full strategic effort to try to understand which of these key opinion leaders were most important to um, you know, ask to endorse the product. And then thinking about their needs, because if they're really truly um, valuable KOLs, a lot of people want them to talk about their products. So you have to start to think about what are their needs? What kinds of, of um, uh, products and, and, and things do they like to talk about with their network? And, and how can I, with my product, align with, with those needs? Lynn did a, a fantastic job and it really, really paid off. Yeah, I agree. Well, and, and ironically, she needed that strength because if you think about the different customer groups, she had another customer group that was diametrically opposed to them. You know, the retailers were doing everything possible to suck the value out of the infant formula because they wanted to have it as a lost leader to be able to get parents in so that they buy the diapers and everything else along with it. And so they, you know, in a lot of categories, we see price pressure. We, we saw extremely so with this industry where they were, were trying to say, look, it's just a bunch of powder in a can. Can't you lower the price? And, um, and they had to work really hard to say, no, this is, this is going to help your baby's brain and eye development. And, you know, it's, it's worth that extra um, money that, that consumers are going to pay. So I thought that that balance was even more important with, with their category. I think the progression of, of their, their stakeholder plan as well is just such a, a, an interesting um, a story, story here. Um, they, when, we, when we first met them and they were, their revenues, I believe, Mary, were maybe half a million dollars, 400, 500 million dollars a year, not insubstantial, but they grew you know, several times uh, over, the, over a short period of time. And, and that was where their primary focus was when we first met them was with, with retailers. And what they did very strategically is to take that influencer map and look at all the entities that are involved and realize, you know, first of all, there's, there's this important stakeholder called the pediatrician or, the, or, or, or the, 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 the gynecologist that is advising mom. Could we, you know, get them to, to, to start talking, not just the key, key opinion leaders, but could we in a, on a more widespread basis get these people to start to, to talk about our product and recommend our product. And then even further, and I know a lot of people in our audience and our you know, B2B marketers are, are wondering, you know, with a B2B product, when do I go to the end user? Well, this is not, this is a B2B to C product, but they decided and made a key strategic um, decision to then start communicating directly with moms in a way that you know, was kind of regulated in the market and they weren't allowed to kind of really overtly promote their product, but they found ways to communicate and build, build goodwills with the moms. And so now they had retailers, doctors and, and moms and, and, and the, the key opinion leader endorsement and all of this was really powerful catalyst to their, their sales growth. 
But I think one one of the things, the reason I also wanted to set this up is because you know there, there there wasn't without blemishes. You know there was some some challenges that they had that Sean and I kind of encountered. And Sean, what what um, do you have to say about the the situation in the UK? Yeah, well, I guess it's like any uh, any marketing initiative or strategy is is uh, it's it's a it's a game of chess, and you're you're usually across the board from somebody else, and they'll be maybe trying to do the same things or or cancel out your moves, if you will. And, and the, the UK business was in a real tough spot. And actually, the, the competitor they were up against is also a, a good lesson in terms of what they did, because they took the, the approach of, of having a, um, a premium, almost medicalized product. So the product didn't look like, a, like an infant formula. It didn't have pictures of babies or, or pastel colors. It was very stark and dark blue and and had a brand name that sounded more like a medicine. And it was very much this driven by science um, approach. And it was a premium product, um, got a lot of endorsement from the medical profession because they also went for the key opinion leaders and became this premium product. Now, you can, of course, play catch up. You can try and carve out your own niche. But they also, there was a lot of tradition in this market. People liked what they were familiar with. They remembered the sort of infant formula they saw from their parents generation or from uh, their the older siblings and to move that up they would create a gap and, and what was I think genius about this competitors move was that they they also followed behind with a traditional more um, uh, old school product so they had a sort of sandwich effect and, and our client was found themselves stuck in the middle if they moved tried to move premium they would vacate the area they were strong in if they tried to dominate the area they were strong in, they could see losing market share to this growing influence of the, uh, the, the I call it the medicalized brand, but the more premium brand. Um, and it made it a tougher, a tougher spot to get out of. You know, you almost have to fight on two fronts, which is, of course, what they did and did successfully. But you have to fight on, on two fronts. So, you know, where possible, move first. You know, be, be the person setting the agenda rather than... Um, rather than playing defense is, is, uh, is not a choice you always get to make, but it's definitely the preference should you have that choice. Yeah, what do, I, I always thought, and, and this, this happened in the UK, but luckily didn't happen globally, you know, for the company. So while they struggled in the UK with, with this sandwiching that Sean described, you know, they were strong enough in the, in the rest of the world to, to, to continue their leadership and still be attractive to Nestle, but I think it's an interesting question if we have time, Mary, to, to talk about how do you keep from getting sandwiched like that? <laughs> what do you do? Anybody have any ideas? Well, first of all, I think you have to know what that is happening. <laughs> Sometimes we watch companies and they're like, I don't know how it, we lost it. So the way that Sean's articulating it, you know, they were smart enough to do enough analysis and, and get in the customer's mind to go, oh, you know, there's, I mean, there's easy tools to map out perceptions of where these things are. So starting with a good perceptual map, I think is, is the first step of that journey. Um, you know, and yeah. then a good ability to compete will never hurt you. <laughs> Being able to look at the analysis on those and there's always kind of there's always a way to sidestep. You know, if you're if you're their premium, you you flip that around on them. If they're the low end, you know, there's always a way to flip around. Or you come out with a low end too. So you you sandwich them either with a ultra premium, 
and or a you know really lower cost to to kind of broaden your portfolio but but sandwich them as they have done potentially I, to you. I think also this strikes me you know we talk a lot about the art of strategy is to decide what not to do just as much as it's to decide what to do because you you've got more things you could do and hopefully because of our belief in focus you're going to choose one thing or, or, or very few things that you're actually going to do, which means you're leaving a lot behind. But there's a caveat to that, which is 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 to make a, an informed choice about what you're not doing. And that speaks to what you're saying, Mary, because one of the ways you avoid that competitor squeeze, that particular move, is to be thinking to yourself, what if, you know, what, what are the opportunities? Now, we could go premium. We could go to a budget brand. We could go for a particular feature of the product and push that because we think that's going to be really important and when you look at all those and you make that decision what will we do and what won't we do you always have to then go that next final question which is what if the competition did this you know you're it's almost like a scenario play where you're thinking no we're we've considered that market we don't see it as a risk but you've got to be watching and if that seems to be happening that someone is taking that space be prepared to move quickly so I think a key concept is that that sort of um, making a, 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 an informed decision about what you're not going to do. But that comes with the ability to move quickly should circumstances change. You've got to have that strategic mindset. I, I would like to throw it. So I think, Mary, you talked about, you know, just a constant focus on the, you know, the, the ability to compete, right? And continually looking at what's going on in the marketplace and taking that, what we call that cold shower of reality. Sean, I think you're talking a lot about scenario planning or maybe even war gaming, right? Where you're, right. again, you can, to, to me, there's a third, there's a third possible strategy, which is you could use positioning, you know, uh, is there an opportunity to reposition or position in a way um, that changes the way that the competitor is is viewed. I mean, Sean, you talked a lot about the, this product that had a very medicinal pharmaceutical kind of name in a category that, yes, you want you know medicinal properties, but in in vitamin like properties, but it's also a very nurturing kind of thing. Maybe there's an opportunity to paint that ultra premium as as you know, medicinal, you know, in some way that 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 causes a, a, a different view and positions and paints you in a, in, in a in a positive light. We call that the the opposite good. There's always an opposite good to a strong position um, in, in a marketplace. So I think there's a variety of, 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 of things that you can do to keep yourself from becoming sandwiched, which but, you know, if you, if you wait too long, it's it can be really difficult. Yeah. And then that was that was part of the response, you know, because you think it's it's a really good point. You you can't do me too, right? Once someone owns the space of the white coat space and the clinical space in this particular market, it's hard to say me too. Budge over. There's room for two of us on this on this platform. But you do that opposite good, and then you focus on heritage, which they have. That's a, that's a key a key critical capability they had because they had been around for a hundred years. It was very familiar, very safe. And that nurturing, you know, that the scenes weren't labs and charts and um, hard to pronounce molecules that apparently did some good. It was about the the bonding, the cuddling, the holding, the, the nurturing. And that is a, an opposite position to take. And that's the other thing that when um, if you don't have the choice of which which 
direction you're going, that choice is made for you because of competitor activity, then um, don't be tempted to try and uh, beat them at their own game. You've got to you've got to come round, you know, tunnel under the castle walls. Don't try and batter your way through. I guess there's got to be a different way. I um, you know, uh, I'm thinking about different categories where I've seen companies deal with this, and one of my favorite was a medical device company that that had a a more premium type of set of devices but they knew that there was um an international group that was potentially going to come in and undermine them with cheaper you know disposable products and um and so they had a team they said you guys go off you have six weeks to pretend you don't work here and develop an arsenal of low-end knockoffs of our products and you know don't tell anyone about it and we're going to put that on the shelf and the moment that we see these groups starting to come in we're going to be able to not only understand how they did it but we're going to have something that we can make a first move on a low-end product first because they had it ready to go whenever but they didn't want to undermine their their established market without really having a, a, the correct reason for it. But it was phenomenal. They, they did such a good job at not only creating their category, but protecting it from other people that were trying to destroy their category. That's brilliant. That's like an insurance plan. That's that's like uh, keep your powder dry, hold your fire, wait till you see the whites of their eyes sort of in command, isn't it? It's like, it's like you know, any, any time now we're ready to respond uh, quickly and devastatingly. And that's, again, the art of strategies. It's what you don't do, but what you're prepared to do. You know, you, you've got to always have that. You've got to be paranoid a little bit in this business, right? Yep, yep. Like Andy Grove always said. Yeah, that's true. Only the paranoid survive. That was the yeah, quote. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tom, any closing thoughts? Rascal missed a really good episode. Lots of lots of advice there. Yeah, I can see him. Is it within? He's just he just he's just disengaged. What can I tell you? Um, I, I think barked. I don't know if it came. On my my. I think he was. Voicing his approval of the kind. We're going to have to do animal health one sometime soon. Then yeah, yeah, yeah we got the audience. Let's hear about the animals. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we hope that you have uh, thought about your category in new and different ways. We gave you some some nuggets on things you might want to try. And um, as always, we love to hear if you're doing any of this, and it worked or. If it didn't work, we'd love to hear that, of course, too. And you can find all our podcasts on our um, Accidental Marketer website, SoundCloud, anywhere you get the podcast. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you.